I'm going to ask you guys a question. Have you ever washed your face and accidentally, like, your finger slams up into oh your nostril? Oh, my God. And you get a fucking nosebleed for, like, yes! two hours? Yes. Yes. I've done that, like, crazy. <laughs> I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and I'm being joined. Oh my holy hell. I am probably, at this moment, the luckiest man alive. Because I'm being joined by two of the most witty, intelligent, and beautiful women that I could possibly be speaking to on Nine Cents, Aaron and Jesse. How are you both? I wondered who he was going to introduce. Yeah, I was like, who the fuck? I, this is a bait and switch. Like, if Jesse and Aaron come be on my show, and then all of a sudden he's got two beautiful, witty girls on, what the hell? <laughs> Hire a couple of strippers for this show, or what? Uh, I do have my altar girls behind me, but that's just <laughs> standard Nine Cents recording. I don't sure. usually refer to them in any way. They just, you know, silently. Um, little hand gestures is what I like to use. Well, when they're so, uh, ball gags, there's not much they can say. <laughs> it reminds me of that... Um, that line from Fight Club, when a gun is in your mouth, you only speak in vowels. When a That's ball a gags in your line. mouth. That's a great movie. It yeah. <laughs> great book. Um, okay, so you're both on the show together. We've done this once before, which I think turned out really wonderfully. We're going to do it again, but this time we're going to start something new, which is really kind of exciting, I think. So as the audience knows, every year Nine Cents puts out a Greater Magic episode. I don't know if this will end up being uh, an annual thing or just a, a, a repeating theme, but we have this wonderful book called The Satanic Witch, and it is filled with amazing content. And I thought it would be a really wonderful idea to have both of you on, and we could just talk about The Satanic Witch. So I guess, you know, maybe we'll start this discussion uh, by explaining what we're going to be covering. So because this is centered around The Satanic Witch, and it's such a, a, a huge amount of information in it. It's going to be really pared down to um, generic ideas here. So we're going to start with what is a satanic witch. We're going to move into a little bit of description about what the LeVay personality synthesizer is. We're going to discuss the law of the forbidden a little bit. And then we're going to address some of the questions that you, the audience, have sent in to us. And then maybe we'll throw in some uh, of our favorite tricks or... Uh, tidbits of information in regard to either the satanic witch, witchery in general, or Satanism. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So should we just should we just start dive in? Why not? Is there sure. anything you two want to talk about before we jive, jump in? No. Before we jump, jive, and whale? <laughs> in here? I'm good. All right. Well, okay. So this is going to be going out to both of you. So um, let's start here with Aaron if we can. How would you describe uh, the Satanic Witch, the book, The Satanic Witch? What is it? Oh, what is the book? Yeah, I want to give a it's, little bit of background here for people who are just completely in a bubble. 
<laughs> so it's a it's a book by Anton LaVey. It was originally put out in 1970, 71, right? 72. Oh, yeah, 70, 70. 70? Okay. And then uh, Feral House reprinted it. It was first put out as The Complete Witch. And then Feral House um, put it out in 1988, maybe, yeah. as The Satanic Witch. So the two are interchangeable. So if we say Complete Witch or Satanic Witch, we're talking about the same thing. Um, and it's basically, you know, about the... It's sort of bewitchment by psychological manipulation. It's sort of how to know yourself and others and how to put that knowledge into practical use as a woman. Yeah. Um, Jesse, when were you first um, introduced to the Satanic Witch as a volume? Um, probably something like um, eight years ago. How did it, how did it resonate? Did it, did it connect with you at all? Did you find the information? How did you take it? Um, well, it kind of, I, I don't know if either of you have been through this in the workplace where like they send an entire department into a conference and, and they teach you all about, you know, different types of people and how to get along with them. Yeah. I, okay. Cause I've been through that like four times yes. or five times and they always type people by like introvert, extrovert, or, um, people are fast paced, slow paced. And then, you know, they, they make these little, you know, have you answer these questions and you figure out which quadrant you're in. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me so much of that, except this makes more sense. It's like the 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 categories he uses to type people, you know, come, going from their the shape of their body to the kind of car they drive to what kind of salad dressing they like. <laughs> it it I think it's because he looks at it from so many different angles that he kind of gets it right more than any of those other classes that I'd been to. So it yes. reminded me of those and actually that kind of put me off at it at first mm-hmm. until I got into it a bit more and I'm like no this one's making a bit more sense. So I I was thoroughly impressed with it from the first read. I should say about a third of the way through the first read. Yeah, it is something that it, it's like <laughs> it's like a feast. So you can't just dive in and, and just eat from end to end of the, this table of a feast at once. It is something that you have to sort of digest pieces at a time. So you'll you'll read through it and you'll, then you just come back to different portions of it. It's it is filled with some really really insightful. Um, takes on humanity uh behavior sexuality it's it's very very interesting and i think it's important also to note that you know this was written before the satanic rituals so you know the way that we get these uh volumes from anton levey is he uh creates he codifies the church of satan he releases the satanic bible and then before he really dives heavy into the satanic rituals he talks about lesser magic. So this obviously half of the Satanic Bible is, is really giving you a, a good groundwork for what greater magic is all about. That's half, so you get one volume with half of the book talking specifically to what Satanism is as a philosophy, and then half of it as greater magic practice, and then he releases another volume that's filled purely with lesser magic. And um, I don't know if either of you had heard the... Uh, the really wonderful conversation I had with Magister Nadramia recently, and I released on the Valpurgisnacht episode, um, but she had said that uh, um, the Magus was uh, and if just 
a brilliant lesser magic practitioner, and he expected other Satanists to uh, use it as well, and this volume tells you how to do it. So let me ask you, Aaron, um, when, you, when you first found out about this volume, did you think that it was just for women? Um, no, I didn't, actually. But when it was introduced to me, it was pretty soon after the Satanic Bible was introduced to me, and um, they worked really well together. And, you know, it was maybe a little bit into the book that I did go, um, is this like a handbook for women? And then by the end of it, I was back to sort of, no, this is kind of for everybody. I mean, it's definitely aimed toward women, of course, the Satanic Witch, but it's a good read for men as well. I mean, everybody, you know, deserves to study a little... Psych, uh, sociological interactions and I think this book is great for that men and women can benefit from it I get a lot of guys saying that they don't even bother looking at it because because it's you know the stanic witch as if it's only directed toward women and I it's funny because I cannot imagine being a man without having some fundamental understanding of women like you have to know the I get it if you're if you're homosexual and you literally just are not involved in anything woman, then I could see why you would never want to be involved in that side of things. But if you're a man who loves women, why the fuck wouldn't you want to try to figure out everything you possibly could about women? And it reminds, it, it sort of pulls me back to this idea that I had read early on um, of, of uh, Anton LaVey writing about uh, sadists and masochists and saying that masochists were the ones who had absolute power. So if you're, if you're coming into a situation and you're wanting to dominate or be dominated, having a, a solid understanding of that relationship is really, really important. And that is actually covered really, really fantastically in this book. Not directly in every instance, but indirectly and clearly. So I think if... And really, here's... Uh, maybe a, a, an idea that I think is really, really important that's been said on this show before by a number of people in that no one expects every Satanist to practice greater magic, but if you're not practicing lesser magic, you're not taking control of your life, and are you a Satanist? I mean, you may not overtly be doing it in your mind at the time thinking, I am practicing lesser magic to get this job promotion or to, to win over this woman or man or whatever, but if you're not, if you're not practicing it, then you're not owning your life, and then you're just a fucking sheep or something, because you're not definitely a human being and a Satanist. Um, do you think, and I'll move over to you, Jesse, on this one, do you think you can define yourself as a Satanist if you do not practice in some manner lesser magic? No. Next question. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that the names are misleading because greater magic sounds like the one you would want to focus on to have all the power but I find lesser magic is far more powerful than greater magic and this out of all the books LeVay wrote this is the one that's a handbook on lesser magic I mean there's there's stuff on lesser magic in some of the other books but this is this, this is the one I mean this might be the one that you should read even before you read the satanic bible but you know if you do that then you aren't going to really understand what the religion is about but, I mean, this absolutely should be book number two to read, male or female. It may be more geared towards women, but every Satanist should read this book. You will only be helping yourself. Yeah. Uh, in, in the end of the revised, released version, um, with a foreword from Peggy Nadramia and an afterword by Blanche Barton, 
the uh, Blanche Barton says in it that um, it was really created uh, because of some of the, some of the ideas and the way that Anton LaVey wrote this and approached it are because of some of his um, ECI, just the way he he saw the world, he saw women, and he saw behavior from a specific time, and it was that influence that that allowed him to write this in the way that he did. So, Aaron, do you think that, and we're almost done with an intro here, but do you think that if if our, our late high priest, Anton LaVey, did not have such a powerful connection with the 1940s, with the, the, the essence of a woman in that time and what a man should be in that time, do you think that the Satanic Witch would be written in the same way? Uh, hmm. you no, know, it's really esoteric question. Like, what if? <laughs> Let me see. What would the great Zoltan say? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think that it's very clear that his aesthetic was from that time. I think he never, um, you know, he played. He did just talk about that Carney that atmosphere of the 1940 Coney Island kind of thing you know I always get that yeah. feel but um you know a woman is a woman it always has been there's always been sex differences and it, women have always been feminine and you know um there's always been differences between men and women and I think he, this book could have been written any time you know um I don't think it uh comes from the time that he grew up in yeah now I mean when it was written there was significant social upheaval mm -hmm. with uh, the identity of woman. I mean, um, equal rights, um, women's lib. Uh, it was a time when women were saying the feminist movement was really on the rise. You know, women were saying, we do not want to be seen as different. We are just like men and we can do everything just like men. And those ideas uh, on, on a micro level, you know, situation to situation make perfect sense but as uh as as a way of defining oneself or one's sex is is that idea compatible with the satanic witch are you asking me yeah <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> sorry done i was uh uh, spacing out what was the question <laughs> would you would you rather i hit it yes <laughs> okay <laughs> Because actually, the, the funny thing, I was raised with that feminist attitude, and I actually grew up believing it. <laughs> and I want to say I was maybe 25 before it finally occurred to me that it's bullshit. <laughs> so I spent quite a few years under the misconception that there's, you know, any differences you see between men and women are because we're raised differently. And, you know, I was given Barbies in my brother was given little army dudes and that's why we are different now and I, yeah if if you try to go through life with that mentality you're gonna lose out left and right yeah. I, I really started having a much more successful life when i dropped it yeah sorry i i, I do tend to um glaze over when the word feminism is introduced into the conversation <laughs> so i apologize for that but um now that i understand the question <laughs> um I do think that, uh, you know, f feminism has ruined a lot of things for a lot of women, especially <laughs> a lot of people in general. And um, 
yeah, I, t- I would, too, was sort of raised um, as a feminist by example, because my mom owned her own business and was very independent, but it was never spoken of in those terms. And I think that saved me a lot of hassle. Yeah. Um, when, when it comes to lesser magic, obviously the words, the, the title lesser magic itself, for, for those who are, are more of the atheistic, um, not so much, you know, cape and candle. If, if that is a hang-up, and, and, you know, words like occult are a hang-up, then maybe we, we should uh, pull it back and, and describe it for what it really is. So a lot of what Satanism is, um, to me, is a colorful way of approaching rational behaviors and thoughts. And um, lesser magic is really just uh, applied psychology in a social uh, atmosphere. Um, you're literally just manipulating people with your behaviors, uh, how you present yourself, and the knowledge that you have of those other people uh, for things that they're telling you without actually telling you. So uh, it's, it's pure manipulation. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not sleight of hand techniques, though that is part of it. Um, I do think it's important because we often, you know, and I don't know about you two, I grew up um, with loving the idea of occult and magic and Mm -hmm. the capes and the mysterious meetings in the woods and stuff like that. I'm definitely not coming into Satanism from an atheistic side of things. And so when when I think of the occult, I think of it as the definition that I pulled up here from dictionary.com. And it is of pertaining to magic, astrology, or any system claiming use or knowledge of secret or supernatural powers or agencies. And so as I dissect that for this discussion um, of pertaining to any system claiming use or knowledge of agencies or secret powers. And that's what like awareness of applied psychology is. It's a secret power that the majority of people have no idea. I mean, they don't even know about themselves, let alone other people. And so if you do understand some really basic fundamentals of human behavior, you can literally convince people to do things that they would never do otherwise. Or you can attract people that otherwise may not be attracted to you. And that is really at the core of the Satanic Witch, why I love it so much. It is literally an ancient tome of human knowledge that will allow you to manipulate those around you. Uh, That is at its core very much a Satanic idea. So, um, let's let's maybe talk a little bit. I mean, we we've we've touched on what the satanic witch is, a little bit of its history here. And I guess maybe before I ask both of you what you think a satanic witch is, um, pure definition, I suppose. Um, let me let me say this really quick. I, I thought this was interesting when I was um, reading up for this episode. And it's that uh, all of the forewords for the book and the afterward mention the same, sort of message, and that is that, in general, a woman can be shunned for practicing the techniques in this volume, like, because it's so honest and open and manipulative, other women can find that very offensive, aggressive, and really socially strike back at you. So I'm going to ask both of you, I'm going to start with Aaron. is this something that you think the the techniques contained herein is it is it a hostile practice 
to be open and and demand things in life through lesser magic? Oh, no, 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 not if you're doing it right. <laughs> That's kind of the point is to get your way um, without sh showing any effort. You know, if it, if it looks like you're trying, then you're failing. <laughs> yeah. What about you, uh, Jesse? What do you think? Um, I would have said yes, absolutely. But it, it, <laughs> and that sounds like I'm disagreeing with Aaron, no, but I think we're okay. actually agreeing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if, if I were to say you know, put a little pee stain on the back of my skirt deliberately, and my coworkers knew I do it, did it deliberately. Yeah, they'd fucking hate me. Um, but if you, you know, if you, if they don't know you're doing it deliberately, then it totally works. So it's it's yeah. very hostile if you admit to what you're doing. Um, I, there was a a post I saw on a social network a while ago where a, a woman who. Uh, was was very I, well, I'll use the word busty because I feel like a grandpa when I say it uh, she had a very big breasts and she, they were revealing from her shirt that she was wearing and she was pulled aside by the administration of that organization the company and said that you have to dress more modestly when you come in so I don't know whether or not she was wearing those clothings for lesser magic ends or if she was doing it because that's how she felt comfortable um, but being oneself comes with consequence and especially when you're doing it in with lesser magic uh, you, you have to have your eyes open because you may be trying to manipulate a, a, a target or a group but keep in mind everyone else in the area that you're not trying to target you have to be uh, you have to go into every situation with open eyes, understanding the cultural climate of the situation, uh, of the area that you're in, so that you can avoid potential negative um, negative responses. So, uh, you know, just in that work environment anecdote, um, you know, maybe she could have also brought a sweater and only taken the sweater off when she was around those she was trying to manipulate. And, and you know, who knows, maybe maybe that reaction was the goal. But I just wanted to bring it up as an example of saying that there are consequences for going out on a limb and practicing lesser magic, whether or not other people know you're doing it. it you could be reacted to negatively, and you have to be prepared for that. And, See, and, uh, I... I'd actually call that poorly executed lesser magic there. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a ginormous chest, what you ginormous. want Ginormous. Well, let's just call her Chesty McBoobs. Chesty like McBoobs that. should not go in with a low-cut shirt. She should go in with the most conservative shirt possible that just happens to be slightly tight. And she should dress very conservatively so that anybody looking at her outfit can't knock her you know if she's if she's wearing <laughs> the nice. most professional attire possible and just happens to have a, a small gap between the, the the middle two buttons because the shirt stretched a little bit she'll get away with it nice okay i i think i should be open we're talking about me i <laughs> i went into work like that <laughs> is your nickname chesty mcboobs it, it is which it is, is why i was a little upset that she called me out um <laughs> no i think that's a brilliant response um, okay, on that note, how about we just uh, start up here straight away. Aaron, what is a satanic witch? Well, Adam, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book, it definitely breaks it down for us. You've got to be a woman. 
Um, but I would, I might even argue with that. I don't know. We might have some homosexual listeners at home that may consider themselves witches. I don't know. What do you think? That's What's right, the- girls. Oh boy, here we go. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. That's an interesting. I just thought of that. But um, so yes, a woman. Um, so you have to be sort of either hideously ugly or pretty sexy. Um, you have to. This is. I think my favorite description of it is that you've made um, a symbolic pact with the devil, yeah. and that, that's someone who worships that Luciferian element within herself of, you know, taking pride in herself and the way she looks and the way she acts and the people she surrounds herself with. But, um, you know, she's got a certain power. And like it says in the book, of course, know, knows herself and others, which is, I think is the proper, of course, order for that is you first have to know yourself and then you can apply that knowledge to other people. Um, you know, they're intuitive, but they're not, not to the point that it trumps everything. You know, they're intuitive, but with with a great backup of critical thinking skills and you know but she gets what she wants she can manipulate men she's got a sort of history or heritage of sorcery in her family which I, I like that um, aspect a lot that you know you, you either come from good looks or you come from an artistic or musical family or or maybe not though and, and of course that's kind of the point is that you can either be like and that's I don't know if we want to get into all of this right away, but the, you know, the, um, I guess we'll talk about the personality synthesizer later. So, uh, I won't go too far into that, but you know, I think that's it. And she has a strong sort of, uh, you know, non ironic belief in her powers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. An honest assessment of, of, of what she can do. Very much so. And I think a, an important, important part of that is, knowing her weaknesses you know of course know your strengths but maybe first and foremost know your weaknesses so that you mm-hmm. you can't be good at you know you can't be a good practitioner of lesser magic if you don't you know kind of cop to your flaws do you think uh, there's anything else that could help define a satanic witch jesse i would say it comes down to applying the tactics laid out in this book Applying them competently, not like chesty McBoobs over here with the low-cut <laughs> shirt. Applying them competently so that you have success. And like Aaron said, there's the, 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 the key part of that is that you have this self... You acknowledge to yourself and repeat to yourself that you are doing this because you want things in this life. And that's your pact with the devil. It's, mm-hmm. You're not doing it unconsciously. You're doing it very consciously. I really, really dig that idea. I mean, just the ideas of witches growing up, it, it was it was two ends of that extreme uh, spectrum that Anton LaVey starts with in this um, in this book, The Satanic Witch, where it's either that old crone, uh, maybe a trio of them, you know, in the woods with their huge cauldron making potions or, or whatever, or it's bewitched. You know, it's either... Mm-hmm crazy beautiful woman controlling the men around her or the old crones that men seek out for ancient knowledge or power and those two opposing um ideas are are archetypes that a, a real modern satanic witch can pull from and it doesn't mean you have to embody either one of them absolutely and and one thing that i thought was really fantastic in that you know i i've never and of course uh, i see myself as, as a man and so i don't identify with the idea of a witch but i do identify with the idea of 
of personifying yourself and manipulating people through that uh, through that realization uh, that you're presenting people. And we'll get into a little bit of that here in a second. But when, when I think when you're a woman, and, and please, I hope both of you will clarify or shoot me down on this, coming into the satanic witch, you almost feel like you have to either embody one of the extremes. But what Anton LaVey says is you, you, you don't, because even if you're not hideously ugly, you can do yourself up to be absolutely sexy. Because definitions of sexy, just like that LaVey personality synthesizer we're going to hit, vary on the target. And so you don't have to embody one extreme or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, th This is a big clock that he's put together, but it could just be seen also as variations of, of gray. And, and you just have to sit well within your own skin and embody that 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 zone that you you put yourself in um so i i guess maybe for either of you have and have you had any issue with that idea that you would have to embody either the beautiful uh manipulator or the, the sexy manipulator or the old ancient knowledgeable crone jesse you want to hit this one first sure <laughs> um yeah actually because well, I'm going to be 44 here soon, so I don't look anything like a crone. I'm still on the other side of that, but for how long? And I don't want to go crone. That's <laughs> just nasty. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I do have to, uh, and, and I don't have a solution for this yet. I do have to come up with some way of, of aging into a different role. Well, when you find out, you, you know, got to let me know. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, uh, and I don't want to, like, tit for tat, but I am going to disagree. Like, I, n I never had a problem with it, um, not because of any life experience that I can speak of, but I think I knew from a very young age that um, unless you were, like, just a monster, like a Shrek girl, you were, you were sexy. You know, it isn't hard for a female to be sexy to a man. I found that out very, very young, you know, as a very unattractive young woman, you know, I figured out that I didn't have to um, be the cutest girl in the room to, to get what I wanted from men. I mean, any woman can probably tell you that, uh, that it's, even if it's not ex um, experience that they've had, they can look around and say, oh, you know, Obviously, women can pretty much get whatever they want if they're just trying just a, the tiniest bit, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't, you know, at a young age, I was, I, it was pretty clear to me that, you know, sexy was a huge spectrum. <laughs> it, it is something that our, our culture, I don't think, completely reveals to you, but there are hints here and there. But it is something that I think it's incumbent upon parents to do in that obviously you don't want to tell your children about sexiness until it's appropriate. <laughs> Make your but kids I, I feel think sexy is what Adam yeah, say. That's what I'm, yeah. It's, have them all dress up like Frankenfurter, I guess is the gist <laughs> of what I'm saying. Frankenhooker. Um, <clears throat> <Frank and> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's important to, to let children know that you don't have to follow those set societal norms and that because you know this just falls in line with original um being an, an, an individual find what works for you and just own it you know just just fucking own it you don't have to feel bad because you're not the stereotypical cheerleader you can still be crazy beautiful and interesting and attractive to whomever you decide to target just because you're your version of what you want to be and that's 
it seems like this obvious thing, but it is genuinely something that people have a hard time with, and not just girls growing up. So I think it's kind of incumbent upon those in your life to help tell you, because society is not going to tell you overtly. They're going to tell you to fit the mold and fit the norm, or else you will be shunned. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the LeVay personality synthesizer. Jesse, do you want to explain what that is? Sure. Um, it basically takes, uh, it's modeled on a clock, you know, 12 hours, and each hour is a representative of a different personality type. Um, going back to what I was saying earlier about if anybody listening to this has, has had those experiences with the work seminars where they, you know, put people into different quadrants, think of that only laid out with 12 hours instead of four quadrants. And it it works on many more levels. It's not just talking about whether you operate fast or slower into data or into people. It deals with much more many more aspects of a person's personality, of a person's uh, physical makeup, um, their sense of humor, their choice of musical instruments, how they would dance. I mean, it gets into all kinds of aspects. And once you learn to type people based on this, you really can start to see why this guy never had any interest in me or why that guy is always looking at this other woman when I can't see any reason that any guy would look at this other woman kind of thing. It it just starts to make people's behaviors make more sense when you apply that the the personality synthesizer to your life and to the people in your life. Yeah. <clears throat> um excuse me. Uh Aaron, there's there's some keys to understanding the synthesizer. And um those are the different the way that Anton LaVey breaks down the individual. Um, do you want to touch on that briefly? Um, well, you have sort of the three personality types in one person. Um, so your core, and then the outer that you show people, and then right. the two are polar opposites. So what, you, what is inside of you is not necessarily what, what you project to the world. But the, the way he breaks it down is sort of, you know, Jesse touched on this a little bit, that you know, the temperament, the skin type, um, the sense of humor, the alcohol use, the sports people like, the professions that people have, all of these things are um, indicators of where you are, where you fall on the clock. So, Jesse, what's your number? I'm dying to know. Oh, wow. We're jumping ahead. <laughs> Can I do that? Can I, is it yeah. breaking all the rules? No, no, no. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, I want to guess. So I want to guess yours. Okay, good. Yeah, guess. <laughs> I'm going to go with seven. Ooh, that's a good guess. Adam, what's your guess? Of your number? Yeah. No, yours. <laughs> oh, mine, mine's mine's 34D. I don't know what yours is. <laughs> nah, that's pretty um, close. Oh, wait, is that the, is this a different one? <laughs> different number, Adam. Okay, so I'm guessing yours. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I have no, I'm, this is, fuck, I, I don't want to insult anyone. This is like guessing someone's age. I don't, I don't think fucking, I'd be insulted. I don't know. Um, okay, let me just base this off of what I fucking... I don't know very much about you. Like, I've only seen your ass a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to say, like... I, I think I think a six and a half... Or a six and a half, a seven, I think would be a pretty good one. Though it's also a really good guess. I was really relying on Jesse's <laughs> guess. <laughs> You're such a shit. I put myself pr right at a six. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was closer. I win. Yep. 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 Ding, ding, ding. Jesse McBoobs wins. <laughs> <laughs> so let me guess your number. Knowing absolutely oh, next to nothing about you, Jesse, except what I know from yeah, the show. Neither of these guys have ever met me. So. I've never met you in my life, but I'm guessing. I have in my dreams. Does that count? No, it doesn't. Adam. It was dirty, too. Well, of course it was. Gee, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say a four. Okay, Adam? Oh, wow, that's actually, a re- I think that's a really good guess. Um, just because of your segment. Um, oh, fuck, dude. Uh, three, six. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to do a three and a half to four. I'm pulling the same trick. <laughs> I'm a three. Adam wins again. Nice. God damn, I'm good at this game. <laughs> yeah, I'm like fucking pricing writing it up here. One dollar. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so Adam, I'm going to. I'm gonna regret this. I'm gonna guess you at oh, one o'clock. Ooh, I was gonna say eleven. Wow. Let me look at eleven. <laughs> um, I actually I see myself, and and this is I'm gonna this is actually probably a really good conversation. I see myself as a um, a, a one and a half to two, because I there are some there are some genuine traits that. I aspire to the and and that I don't feel like I nail. So I think I think I would call myself a one to two. So Jesse, you win on that one. Yay! For the benefit of everyone out there, because we haven't expl- explained at all what these numbers are referencing. <laughs> Oops, my uh, bad. <laughs> but but I want to say even before I just got to interrupt and say the fact that we all guessed close on each other mm-hmm. kind of says something about how well this works. Definitely. Yeah, we weren't, really we weren't all over the map with each other at all. And it, it, I mean, it's one thing because it's easy for for Anton LaVey to just put some words down saying, well, I'm going to attribute this trait to a six o'clock, this trait to a two o'clock, this trait to a 11 o'clock and not have it make any sense. And then we're we start guessing and we're way off because it doesn't make sense. Like you can't just rely on on the numbers. There's an, a method to to the categories that he's put out so you know we have to do right up front say that he did not create this on his own uh i mean he created the live personality synthesizer on his own but he leaned heavily on some other uh individuals research and then some other volumes and so maybe that's a discussion for another time but just to say that he was informed a lot by those other two individuals and then um from his own personal experience and that is where he he gleans a lot of this information from and that's why it's so spot on is because it's it's from reality it's not from opinion um I so just, let me i'm sorry i'm sorry oh no, well, no. did you want to go ahead <laughs> i just wanted to um put to bed any notions that people might have that my skin is in any way marshmallowy <laughs> 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 That is my only objection to this. I always wondered why you wore a Stay Puff hat. <laughs> I just, it was weird. Yeah, no. My skin is <laughs> in no way resembling a marshmallow. This is a... actually a really good, this is a, a fantastic point you bring up. So <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they think of, of things that LaVey wrote, um, it, they, it, and it, ironically, they take it as a gospel truth. Like, this is 100% every time, no matter what. He is flawless. He is like a god. And, and people tend to forget that he was just a dude <laughs> who woke up, pooped, 
and had breakfast like everyone else. How dare so, you? What? How dare you? <laughs> he didn't poop. <laughs> Come on. So uh, do either of you, and I'm just open for, you know, whoever rings in first, uh, buzzes in first, <laughs> do either of you think that there are margins of error or should you absolutely take this as perfect? I bet nothing is perfect. I mean, you'd be a fool to take anything, anything at all as gospel, you know, to just think, you know, uncritically think about anything and just take it, you know, swallow it whole cloth. Of course, you'd be mm. a fool. There's yeah, always room for interpretation. I, I think probably the least accurate gets down to the color wheel and what colors people like to see on other people. I think that's probably the least accurate, but yeah, there's there's wiggle room in all of it. It's it's all guidelines, but the guidelines do la- add up and, and align on, on the whole. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, it's important to go into this knowing that there's always variations on the theme. There's always breaks from norms. Um, individuality will always trump uh, a collective categorization system. So... Go into this with with a firm understanding that there will be variation in some way, and what's really wonderful is that you can you can test results. So you you can analyze and say you know the majority of of the people I'm trying to target uh, are going to follow these traits, and you can sort of you know compare and contrast your results and find something that works specifically for you. And when we're talking about targeting people and why I originally brought up um, the different portions of a self is because I think it's really important to understand before you can ever and and both of you have touched on this already I'm just going to expand on a little bit if I can Um, it's important to understand every part of yourself before you start to try to manipulate others because there's no way that you're going to be able to grasp the idea of a demonic self if you do not first recognize what yours is and placing yourself on that LeVay personality synthesizer clock allows you to clarify a lot of this discussion. Like, if, if you're reading The Satanic Witch, um, specifically, you know, this section of The Satanic Witch, without these diagrams, I think it would be wildly confusing. Like, it would be almost impossible to fully understand. Right. Unless you start drawing stuff out yourself. I'm reminded of my... <laughs> this is going to be really weird and off-base, but just... <laughs> Because I am. Uh, it reminds me of uh, playing Legend of Zelda as a little kid. Oh my god, like, I love that game. You would have to like draw out the dungeon so that you could actually understand where to go and where the secret doors are and where you are because it was just so vast and confusing and shit. That's kind of what you have to do mentally. But if you have these, this book, you know, he, he's sort of done it for you. There's a graph there. You can, you can reference it while reading, which is very, very important. It's getting hot in here for me. Oh, gosh, being so close to you two. Sweltering. Okay, so I'm going to reiterate on this really, really quick, and then we'll just sort of move on from here. But um, And we'll we'll sort of talk about the different times in general. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time because we have a lot more to go through here. Um, But understanding oneself. So uh, Aaron had already touched really, really well on it here. So you, you basically have who you are, which is broken up into sort of two portions, it's either your projected self or your core of who you really are. Your projected self, your outward self, can obviously adjust depending on who you're trying to attract and, and how society has helped, your culture has helped mold you. Um, those things aren't always truth, um, and sometimes it's actually intentionally different so that you can attract someone that you want to 
for a moment or for for some reason, whatever that may be. But then inside you is is a demonic self, your your sort of alter minority self. Um, and when we start talking about the clock, uh, we're gonna talk about the the real dramatic shift between your projected self and your um, core self. But it's important to understand the demonic self because this is this is sort of the the exact um, it's like the exact opposite of who and what you really really are, and it's what you're going to be naturally attracted to uh, in other people. So if your demonic self is a uh, a thin lithe, intelligent woman, you're naturally going to be sort of attracted to those people, either as friends or lovers, whatever it is. Um, your core self sometimes can be an exact opposite of your outward self, but again, that's really only when you're on these polar opposites of the scale, and uh, and that's really just a difference between, uh, in my opinion, genetics and psychology with the way that you're going to be raised because you're at that solid uh opposite of a scale um, and I don't know if we can really I mean we could talk about an entire show based around this clock itself but would either of you like to maybe run down a couple of the traits you know sort of the four corners of this clock so that people have a good understanding of what numbers we were referencing uh, I can do it if you want all right go ahead. all right so the 12 o'clock is fire and that is the most male core and the body type would be wide shoulders, long torso, narrow hips, short legs, hard, firm flesh. He's a, uh, you know, it's a pioneer, domin domineering, aggressive, impulsive, always on stage, selfish, authoritarian. Um, so that's the 12 o'clock position. And the 3 o'clock position is an air position, and it's sort of intellectual. So you have the physical type of a narrow, stick build, sinewy, no waste sort of translucent um, <laughs> which um, I've seen people like that I know exactly what they mean um, uh, social critic you know they're technical they have abstract thinking they're sort of not very social um, sort of dour quiet <laughs> they're hair splitters you know the type really really want to dig in with like a dog with a bone and get right to the bottom of shit um, you know real um, they're thinkers not doers so that's the number three, and then at number six you have the waters, and the, which is uh, m the most feminine core: narrow shoulders, short torso, long legs, wide hips, marshmallow flesh. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do, Ray? <laughs> um, <clears throat> fluidic movements uh, carries things out. Is consistent, dedicated, receptive, dependable, generous, steady. Um, then, and then there's the nine o'clock position, which is Earth the position. It's an emotional place to be. Um, it's thick sausage build, resilient, <laughs> rubbery flesh. Um, they're social. They have a great sense of humor. They're agreeable. They're concrete. They're doers, not thinkers. They're practical and resourceful. Nice. So, uh, Jesse, can I ask you really quick here? Do you think, because we're talking about an individual that's broken into... Uh, identifiable uh, portions of themselves. Is it difficult to nail down your your core versus your demonic self when one could be a trait that you want to have and so you want to be seen as this clock versus realizing that you actually are this time on the clock? I, I suppose that could be. I mean, it wasn't an issue for me. For me, it was just... I... I 
truly consider myself to be a boring individual and I truly consider <laughs> three o'clock to be the most boring hour on the clock. So it, it was just kind of like Siesta put my time, head man. down, shake my head and oh, <laughs> here we go. He nailed me to a T. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't have any problem picking myself out. Although I, so that- I, I just want to say for the audience that my new nickname for Adam is Chesty and my new nickname for Aaron is Stay Puffed. <laughs> Mine is so much better. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron. That's horrible. <laughs> Worst nickname ever. Yeah, it's all um, your fault, Adam. How would I, oh, What's yeah, new? Maybe. What's new? <laughs> So, Aaron, let me ask how you placed yourself. What were some of the traits that allowed you to place yourself on the clock? This, it was pretty hard, and, uh, I, you know, I, I go back and forth sometimes. I, I put myself at a solid six today, but if you asked me another day, it might have been a different answer. But generally, I'm definitely at the, the five to seven range. Sometimes, uh, so I, I feel like it balances out because there are some things about this, you know, toward the nine that I agree with, that sense of humor. I definitely think I have that. Um <laughs> I'm a, a, you know, I'm resourceful. Uh, I am agreeable, but on the other hand, I can move toward the three o'clock position in that I, I, I am not very social. Um, I am somewhat dour sometimes, and I'm a thinker. I'm not really a doer, but, 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 but not exactly. You know, so I, I fall. I feel like I have a lot of traits on either side that I can agree with too. So I just sort of like nestled into the six o'clock because I could go. You know, some in, on some in some ways I go to toward five, or in some ways toward the seven. You know, um, so I think I do. I just end up falling right at, on that six because I have a lot of conflicting. Um, you know, I have a lot of nine and three in me too. So I think it all yeah. just averages toward a six. I think that's a really fantastic way of looking at it. Is is if if you do have difficulty nailing down a time first of all it's not that fucking important but if you do have a difficulty nailing yourself down on a time look at it as an average because between both of your scores for me i can look at that sort of upper clock range and see pieces of me scattered throughout um and so it's easy for me to say well you know i i i like to think that i'm kind of funny which you know levee has put on our 11 side um you know, sort of nine o'clock. But then I also would like to think of myself as a little bit aggressive, but not overtly, but also a little bit more, and maybe this is just my ego talking, a little more intellectual. And so I try to ease over to the one o'clock, one thirty side. And, and so if you do take sort of an average and place yourself <clears throat> in there, it's still going to be opposite of those you're trying to target generally. So I think that's a really good way to, to take it. That, that was really interesting. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on this because I I mean, realistically, this should be the discussion of an entire episode. And maybe if you two are into it, then we can do a series of the Satanic Witch episodes and that will just be one episode's discussion. That's Do you think cool. either of you would be okay with that? Yeah. Absolutely not. Alright. Well, Aaron, <laughs> I'm going to take... <laughs> Stay my puffed. Ghostbuster gun and yeah, shoot you. That's the whole reason. I can't continue on with this if we're going to keep calling me Stay Puffed. <laughs> I will never call you that. To <laughs> Not your to face. my face, thank you. <laughs> I'm on to you, Adam. I know how you do. I got your number. <laughs> I kid. I, I joke. It's, it's, it's fun. It's good. It's okay. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Law Forbidden. So there, there are so many different ideas that are really, really fantastic in this book. 
these are just tiny little ones we've we've chosen to focus on. I think they're important ones, which is the way reason why you know we collectively put this together. But it is definitely one of the core ones to understand, I think, when manipulating a room or an individual. So, um, Jesse, can you describe briefly the law of the forbidden? I think if anybody thinks back to their childhood, to when they snuck a cookie out of the cookie jar versus were given one, and how much better the cookie tasted when they snuck it, that's your law of the forbidden right there. There's there's an inherent thrill that just makes things better when you're doing something you know you're not supposed to do. And if you want to truly manipulate people, if you can get them to think that they're not supposed to be experiencing what they're experiencing, that makes it all the more powerful an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think um, my favorite, I think uh, LaVey in the book said something like, nothing is so fascinating as that which is not meant to be seen. <laughs> and Great that's place. absolutely true. You know, and it, he said something about also a quick glance up a skirt, you know, is much more tantalizing than seeing full frontal nudity, and, you know, women on stage just shaking their boobs in your face. I mean, there is a lot to be said for that sort of behavior, but if you really want to intrigue someone and tantalize them, then just give them a tiny bit of, you know, what they weren't supposed to, you know, let, you know, don't let them know that they were supposed to see it. And then if they think that they've, they've sneaked a glance and you didn't notice, then it's all the more better for them. It is so powerful of a tool and it's something that it informs everyone in everything that they do in life because you may be the most rational forthcoming successful individual but you still have weaknesses and it's the forbidden fruit and it will always every single time draw someone in every single time i can't think of anything else that's that powerful and it's it's strange because i don't know if we can chalk it up and this is sort of a philosophical question and i don't don't really want to go into it too much i don't know if we can chalk it up to culture, uh, collective human culture that, that we all sort of stem from, this, this biblical understanding that uh, whether you're Islamic, Judeo-Christian, they all sort of rely on that same forbidden fruit beginning. Um, and, and as a species, we've just, maybe we've just relied on that idea to, to drive us, or if it's something that's like in our DNA about who, what we are as animals. Like we always want what we don't have. The grass is always greener. On the other side, the forbidden, forbidden fruit always tastes the sweetest. Um, do either of you have an opinion on that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do, in fact, have an opinion on that. Shoot. Um, I think it's... Um, I always say that if, if we would just let people fuck who they want to fuck in the manner in which they wish to fuck them, it would solve a whole lot of the world's problems. And I think that the Christian church especially is very guilty of propagating this aberrant behavior. You know, they force people to um, to do, like, the most horrible taboo things because they won't just let them fuck who they want to fuck. You know, especially with, like, the Catholic Church. If you're a priest, you can't have sex with anyone. So, of course, you're going to, to do abhorrent things because you just cannot get this sort of sexual repression out. Or not even repression, just normal sexual needs you can't express them so you end up doing these really um you know 
deviant things. Uh, so I think that the the world creates this forbidden fruit. You know, it's the it's biblical terms we're speaking in right now. You know, the yeah. forbidden fruit. Um, we didn't invent that. The Christians invented that, and and they did it because. They're fucking idiots, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, had they known maybe hindsight 2020, they wouldn't have been so rash in creating this sort of forbidden fruit because that's all anyone ever fucking wants is what they can't have. I mean, that is just the most basic. But by reinforcing it the way that society does, you know, if, you know, um, <laughs> look at the look at the world as it was 50 years ago. We, we just we couldn't we were all so repressed. You know, the whole world was repressed and we were expressing it in the most horrible ways. Um, but now as the world becomes more enlightened and, you know, people can change their sex and they can have, they can bury their, the men that they are in love with as men, you know, things, people are, behaviors that are pretty much normal are, you know, they're not deviant. Well, let me ask you, Jesse, because I think I think Aaron brings up a really interesting point here. And and again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I would like uh, a, a good answer, answer from you. So it better be fucking good, is what I'm saying. I guess. <laughs> no. Um. Do you think that if if there was no Islamic Judeo Christianity, no no tomb of behavior, that human beings would still rely on this idea, and it would be as powerful as the for, you know the law of the forbidden? Would it exist if those aforementioned religions were not uh, so embedded in our consciousness. Well, that leads exactly into what I was wanting to say anyway. Perfect. Um, yeah, it would still be there. And I want to give an example that is totally non-religious, non-sexual. And that's all the time we have now. So let's <laughs> <laughs> I talk okay, too I, much. I'm sorry. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I, 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 I have to get all non-sexual and intellectual on you because I'm a three o'clock and boring. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I still find it crazy sexy. So go ahead. <laughs> um, have either of you seen the movie Sea Biscuit? Yeah, fuck yeah. I've seen it like a hundred times. You were kidding about that boring thing. No. Hey, I've I'm never not. seen that. You take oh. that back. Sea Biscuit <laughs> is not boring. It's a beautiful story about a horse. A horse? I, I knew you it. would love it. <laughs> yeah, it is, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is a beautiful story about an underdog <laughs> horse that came to win the championship. Okay, that's the basic idea. <laughs> but at one point, the, the, the crowd is starting to follow the, the, the horse owner and his whole entourage, and they're giving an interview, and he, and he says to the crowd, you know, my horse is too small, my jockey's too big, my trainer's too old, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and that's the law of the forbidden. That horse should not have won. It totally went against everything everybody accepted. And that's what made it a great story. That's what's so intriguing to us. It shouldn't have happened. It's not anything naughty. It's not anything religious. It's just something that blew our minds because it shouldn't have happened. And that's what grabs us. So yeah, totally. The law of the forbidden works whether you have sex involved, whether you have religion involved, in any aspect of our lives. It works. Very, very good. That was badass. Um, I might have to see that show now. Might. Okay, we, ne we still never address the fact that you call movies shows. Can you? Do you want to touch on that real quick <laughs> before we dive into the next? Let's, segment? let's move on. No, I. <laughs> before we talk about that, can we? Can I ask either of you? Have you? Have you ever employed the law of the forbidden personally? And if you have, can I get a little taste of what it was like? Absolutely not. 
Oh. <laughs> hell. Oh, even fucking hell. <laughs> Alright, yeah, seriously, that's, anyone? That's no? wicked personal, actually. <laughs> alright, alright. No, I mean, uh, yes, the answer is yes, of course. I think for both of us, we've both employed that. I, if I yes. may speak for Jesse, <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say every woman has employed that. But if we told you about it, then it wouldn't be, you know... We wouldn't, there wouldn't be any magic to it if we just revealed all our secrets. Alright. I dig it. You'll know it when you see it, Adam. Or you won't. Uh, <laughs> We're doing it right, I guess. <laughs> you're, you're killing me. You're doing it right now. Um, so the... Uh, <laughs> no, literally, like, right now. Um, I I have been at the, the receiving end of this. I've been at both ends of this. And, and I'll give you a, a receiving end uh, anecdote where... Because I think it was kind of funny and it informed a lot of the way I see things. Um, I when I was in I think I was like eleventh grade or something. I was uh, working as a janitor for an elementary school up the street. So after the school went out, I would go in and clean the classrooms and clean the grounds and stuff like that with some other people, some other kids basically. But it was overseen by some dude. Um, one of the teachers at this elementary school was this really gorgeous young woman. Uh, she, at the time, she had to be like twenty-two ish, you know, somewhere around there. Really 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 sexy she wore a really conservative dress but she had these really great legs that I could see her calves every once in a while when she sat down so I was um, like just obsessing about her for a very very long time talking to her as often as I could um, and trying to obviously in my juvenile mind make a connection that in reality would never have fucking happened so there was this one day where I was vacuuming her room and she was staying late working on some papers or something and she had backed her seat out and like sort of did that uh, Sharon Stone move where she like crossed her legs from one side to the other and I got this hint of panties underneath and for my adolescent brain I almost died at that moment uh, a number of reasons so first I saw what I thought was um, both wonderful and disgusting. Yeah. I got to see her panties, which was wonderful, but the panties that she was wearing were disgusting. So immediately I realized that, you know what, the forbidden fruit is much more exciting until you get a taste of it. Because <laughs> then sometimes it's not as great as you thought it would be. Um, so the lesson I think there is, for those of you who are employing these techniques, if you do not have something to back up what you're projecting expect some sort of a fallback um you've got to own it or don't fucking do it um because it's only going to end up worse for you in my opinion if you don't back up what you're trying to employ so for this woman it was probably not intentional in all reality but the fact that i got to see what i've been trying to see and dreaming about and obsessing over for months um, and then it was wildly disappointing. It changed the way I saw women seriously. Like it, it made me start thinking, wow, maybe the chase really is better than the catch. Maybe, maybe it's worth the flirtation more. And that has literally informed my entire life from that moment on, which is really, really powerful for me. Um, in that context, uh, without specifics, have either of you had a moment where it just didn't end up working out if you started to employ the law of the forbidden? No? No, oh, I, I can go. I just feel like I'm talking too much. I was going to let Yeah, no, nothing jumped to mind, so go ahead. Um, <clears throat> certainly I have um, made a 
huge asshole out of myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I can't. I don't. Uh, I don't want to be too specific <laughs> because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But certainly, um, if you're going to make promises, you have to be certain that you can deliver on them. And it's fine to yeah. create a certain uh, mystique about yourself. Um, and you know, I don't want to say pretend, but you know, project a certain um, image to people, a facade. And but if you're going to project that, especially if you're targeting a specific person, you're trying to beguile a certain young man, um, then you you can't make promises that you can't deliver on. You know, if you claim to be a great cook, <laughs> you better be a good cook because if not, you're gonna, you know, be feeding someone shit, and they're <laughs> they're gonna finally figure it out if you're just all yeah. hollow promises. So, yeah, without any giving too, you know, too. Too too many names or specifics. Yeah, definitely. I've I've definitely. You're talking about Josh, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. He's leaving <laughs> me because I can't cook. No, um, <laughs> you you know you're gonna. I fall on my face all the time, and I think that's something that um, I've heard Jesse say before, and I really appreciate that she she said it when she did. Is that you know we all know how we're supposed to act, but we don't necessarily do it well every time so I've certainly um, over promised and under delivered <laughs> and it and it was a learning experience you know definitely don't make checks your ass can't cash is that how it goes yeah I think that's the <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I have um, I, I've thrown things out in conversation like kidding and been taken serious and I think the reason it hasn't come back and, and haunted me is because the relationships involved are so distant that, you know, okay, if this person thinks I have this seriously wild sex life at home, it doesn't matter because he's never going to know the difference because we're never going to get involved. But I um, have, By the like, way, I am coming out there next week, so I <laughs> am going to expect some wild sex orgies. Just saying. But yeah, if I, if I, if I made a joke that led you both to, to believe that I hold wild sex orgies in my home... Where's the consequence? Considering I've never met either of you, might never. I hopefully someday I do meet you, but if I never <laughs> met you, why, you'd yeah. never know the difference. So you know, if it if it made things work out better for me that you believed it, okay, I'll go with it. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah, you got to know your audience. <clears throat> you know, you don't don't. Um, if you're never going to meet somebody, if you're just you know whatever forever whatever reason flirting online or something like that. You'll, lie your face off because you will they will never know <laughs> they'll never be the wiser but if you're you know, this is a real life situation then be you know you have to know when to hold them and when to fold them <laughs> 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 sorry I didn't mean to do that <laughs> I'm not oh, going to get that song out of my head for an hour I know it always goes back to music oh that's so Take funny that. Um, okay, so we are actually out of time, but I would love what? to do some Q&As. Do you, both of you have time to do that? I do, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so I, I asked the audience, and obviously I've pulled in some here, a couple here from previous correspondence that I think would be really interesting if you two had addressed. So I'm going to leave it up to you two who wants to address what, and if you have any follow-up. Uh, feel free, let's keep this as an open dialogue. But these are questions from the audience about either lesser magic, being a witch, um, uh, behavior, advice, etc. Okay. okay, so let's start here at the top. And again, um, I'm, I'm going to try to sort of lightning around these, get these, you know, the, the, I'm not going to read verbatim here. Um, 
Okay, I am going to read this one verbatim. You don't have to do what, the first one? Yeah. No, I, I don't uh, think you need to read it. You want me to paraphrase and, and respond? Do that. Okay. Uh, just take me out of the whole fucking podcast. <laughs> you talk, okay, you it's, it's, it's basically looking for more books on lesser magic and with more of a... It, more more towards males, geared, geared more towards males. See? See how easy that was, Adam? And I had a couple of it's suggestions. It's chesty. <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> chesty. It's chesty. Sorry. <laughs> May See, the thing is, I'm too boring for a nickname, so you guys are chesty and stay puffed. Stay, I, just <laughs> deal with it. I, I love p- giving people nicknames, but... Alright, back on... Back on <laughs> focus here. Focus. Okay, so um, some recommend some recommended books uh, for lesser magic other than the Satanic Witch, which obviously, if you haven't gotten the point yet, that book is good for men to read. So do read it if you haven't. Um, As a man, I would say it's essential. But I would also recommend Robert Greene's Art of Seduction. Um, yes. There was a book by Bandler and Grinder called The Structure of Magic. And that deals with uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which I think may have been debunked, but that's only part of the book, so it's still worth reading. Um, I would also say uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Yeah. Uh, yep. Dale Carnegie. And lastly, I wanted to recommend, there's another podcast that I listen to called the Psychology of Attractiveness podcast, which... You it- are such a number three. We're <laughs> <laughs> good with that. That's not so. I kid. It's really good. It's not about lesser magic. It's a science podcast, but it's very good information. Um, but I also wanted to say, uh, in terms of lesser magic for men, Levey talks about uh, having commonplace skills for women, and I think that applies equally to men. There are skills that men should have that make them more attractive. And if you can fix your girlfriend's car, Oy you are fey. worth more than a guy who can't. You know, if you can build shelves, you are worth more than a guy who can't. If you earn more money by having various skills in the marketplace, you are worth more than a guy who doesn't. So the commonplace skills, if you really want to attract women, be good at something. I would second that. That is great advice. (laughs) Yeah, actually, on that note, there is actually a book I would like to recommend heavily. And this is really, I think, essential for men. And it's going to be weird... I'm actually looking on my shelf for it to get the exact name here. Ah, fuck, I can't find it. It, So it was, um, and this is understanding uh, women and sexuality. So it's everything your mother should have told you but didn't, or it's something like that about sex. So it's geared towards women about sex and sexuality. And I think it's incredibly important for a man who, if you want to (laughs) fucking be good at sex... Uh, or at least in theory, is a wonderful reference. I definitely suggest everyone look it up. So I believe, again, I can't find it on my shelf at the moment, but it's um, what your mother never told you about sex but should have or something like that. So look it up. It has, like, green leaves or some shit on the front of it, I think. Okay. Definitely worth a, a fucking read. It. <laughs> I mean, just for, as a guy, you know, you're not going to... Your dad is not going to sit down and give you a tome when you come of age explaining everything about sex. And if he does, then he's probably the coolest dad in the world. Chances are you're probably going to look at a lot of porn nowadays. And that's not 100% right. <laughs> so 
there's there's a lot to it that that, uh, that book can help you with. Um, um, and I would actually suggest that all women read that book too. That reminds okay, so, me that I have some suggestions. Excuse me. Ooh, all right. <laughs> that that reminded me of a book that I think everyone should read too. It's called The Guide to Getting It On. And it's uh, one of the editors of a journal, like an actual medical journal, I think is Paul Jonitis or something. But it's, it's you know, a book about the wonders of sex. I would highly recommend that, The Guide to Getting It On. And then, um, Jesse, you mentioned a book by um, The Art of Seduction. Yep. By the... Robert Green, I think, right? Yep. Um, he he wrote another book called The Forty Eight Laws of Power, which I would also highly recommend. To, and th- these are suggestions for men, and you know, they're, they're both um, books about luster magic and more geared toward men. But yeah, the the, the art of seduction is terrific. But also that um, Forty Eight Laws of Power uh, is also pretty great. There's a book called The Natural History of the Senses by Diane Ackerman that I would suggest um, everybody read. And then, of course, there, like Jesse mentioned Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, there's a Man into Wolf by Robert Eisler. I don't know where you can get it. I think you can get it. Maybe Underworld Amusements has it, but um, maybe not. But that's a great book. And then, um, you know, anything like Nietzsche, Jung, Freud, I would suggest that for, for men, you know. I think that's a really fucking much more elaborate list than I had expected, to be honest. I did some that's, research, man. Yeah, that's really great. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's do the second question here. Um, so this is a divorced woman who has a young daughter and a toddler daughter who would still like to bring men around in some way because obviously she wants to have that uh, intimate relationship with someone in some way. How can she do that still having daughters? Uh, suggestions I have two quick suggestions <laughs> just match.com or tinder like you have to get online that's your only choice as a divorced mother of two daughters just go online that's all you have to do I mean it can't be hard all right um, Jesse do you have any suggestions or advice you know the odd thing is when I read this question I thought it was a guy asking Oh. Which this totally <laughs> throws me now that it's a woman asking the question. Maybe I'm um, wrong, actually. I don't think it says woman anywhere. Maybe I'm the wrong one. <laughs> it is a woman. Oh, okay, okay, well, um, <laughs> I guess what I would still say is, you know, obviously you, if you have kids, you don't want to just be bringing person after person home. And that whoever wrote this question gets that or they wouldn't have asked the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think anybody that you would want to introduce to your kids is going to understand that and respect it right off the bat. So if you start a relationship saying, look, if we're together in six months, you can come by and meet the family. But let's just, you know, keep it. We'll go to your place instead until then. I think yeah. that that whole as long as you set a timeline. So it's not like you're saying this relationship isn't going to mean anything to me ever. But at the same time, I need to keep distance to protect my kids. I think that will be respected. Yeah, I, I would like to weigh in on this one just a little bit in that, you know, I'm, I'm a guy. And so um, I have that on it, <laughs> that angle that, that other people don't um, in this discussion. You do. Uh, I'm just doing horrible at fucking transitions here. Um, You're doing good. You're doing real good. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so I would suggest, first of all, if you have a 14-year-old, 
Um, I'm hoping that they are of the emotional level of a 14-year-old. That means that you can talk to them, and and you can explain to them that you need some personal time and you need them to babysit. Uh, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. If it is, then you can maybe lean on a family member or a close friend, um, someone that you can trust uh, to watch them. So you, if you want to have a sexual relationship with another human being, you don't have to do it around your kids. That's not a requirement. And I understand, especially as a uh, single mother, I, my sister was a single mother and I saw what she had. She went through. And there's a lot of fear, just in parents in general, but especially as a, a single mother involved. Um, you have to be able to trust your kids at some point. Trust that they're going to be okay without you hovering over them. And as long as there's a way for them to get in, in contact with uh, responsible people, meaning uh, the police if necessary, poison control if necessary, ambulance, 911, you, as long as they have a way of reaching out, you can trust a 14-year-old, if they're at the emotional level of an average 14-year-old, to watch your kid, your, your, your four-year-old. And, and that's being wildly specific, and I hope I'm not embarrassing anyone by being that specific. But you should be able to trust your kids so that you can trust yourself and know that you can reach out to other human beings and have an intimate relationship. But I would also like to bring up the idea of birth control and condoms. And I don't mean to be offensive in any way, but if you love sex, fucking I understand, I do too, um, use protection. And you will avoid, in the majority of cases, running into another little kid. And, and so... It doesn't always have to end up in a bad scene. You can go into a relationship with someone and just set boundaries saying, I want a sexual experience. You and I have a good back and forth. Or maybe you don't even bring that up initially and you're just hanging out for a half hour or an hour at a time, getting coffee or getting a drink or something. And then it builds up to the sexual moment. But you have to be honest saying, I want this with you. I want to have boundaries, but I want to have fun, and you just have to be honest with someone that you're going to have sex with, and it's going to be okay as long as you're honest. And you may not find the right person for that type of relationship initially, but they are out there, and if, like Aaron said, get online if you have to. Um, it can be a little challenging and intimidating to do so, but it could also mean that you could find someone that you could fuck and feel really good about waking up with just your daughters the next day. Can I throw something else out there? Of course. Because when I, when, like I said, when I read this, I read it as a guy with two daughters. And an issue comes up when it's a lady with two daughters that I hadn't even considered, and I don't have advice for this. I, it's just... And this is going to sound really weird, but say she starts dating a guy, and there's statistical evidence that daughters with stepfathers tend to sexualize earlier and they start flirting with their stepfathers some in some cases and i mean i'm i'm starting to describe something that's really icky but maybe this is part of this woman's fear and i i didn't consider it because i was thinking of a guy with two daughters and it wouldn't have been an issue but i mean how do you avoid that kind of a weird situation where your daughter is starting to flirt with your boyfriend it's unfortunate. Wow, we're getting wildly specific. It's, um. very, it's unavoidable. I didn't have a stepfather, yet I was highly sexualized as a child. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
I was sexualized at like eight years old. I was already aware of what sex was and was already trying to perform it. So I don't, and it, and I didn't have a stepfather. I had a, a father at home. So I, I think you know, there's you shouldn't women. You don't worry about your daughters because they're gonna be, they're gonna have sex or they're not. They're gonna get pregnant. They're not. You're you're fucked. Like if you have a daughter, <laughs> you just fucking kiss your world goodbye because they're gonna ruin it completely. <laughs> one way or another you can't yeah, I, you, you can't worry about that i'm thinking the the best strategy in that situation might be to to let her daughter mature fast and talk to her about it the whole way through so that her daughter has the confidence that she's not hitting on the stepfather with daddy issues kind of thing i i, I don't know yeah. it's just like she's gonna need confidence with men in order to be hitting on boys her own age yeah, <laughs> but I'm totally Open talking. Dialogue. I'm totally talking outside my realm of expertise. I just, I just <clears throat> now that I'm reading this from a woman's perspective, I'm wondering if that's one of the fears. Yeah, and again, I mean, just as as everyone has said here already, open communication with your children, honest, open, age appropriate communication about sex, about relationships, and I think generally you're going to be okay as long as you have that. Um, and the fact that you're asking the question and you have the concerns, that's huge. huge. That's huge. Yeah. That means you're a good mom, you love your children, and you only want to do what's best for them. But you know what? You still have your own life to live. And you have to take care of you and put time aside for you. It's just healthy. And it is okay. I think that's important because a lot of mothers, in my personal opinion and experience, um, coming from experience, they... They feel guilty if they put themselves first ever. Like they're a horrible mother or a horrible woman or a horrible human being. And that's not true. And yeah. it is okay to set aside time. Yeah, it's it's not, not just okay to set aside time. What kind of role model are you for your daughter if you're not setting aside time? If you're constantly doing things for others, then that's, that's what you're teaching your daughter is the right way to live. And you don't want your daughter living that way. Yeah. So you can't live that way. Beautiful. All right. Uh, let's do uh, some a uh, little bit quicker responses <laughs> for these next ones if we can. Uh, what about unwanted sexual advances? Uh, we're going to start with Aaron. We'll move over to Jesse on this one. Aaron? Uh, I have no idea. My, all the sexual advances. Yo, unwanted? I, what I does always, that mean? Yeah, I have no idea what that means. I ask I ask for them. <laughs> I want them all. So don't. I don't know what that even means. Unwanted <laughs> sexual advances? <laughs> Who doesn't want that? I don't, I don't know. Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, um, I would handle them trying to minimize the embarrassment to the guy as much as possible. No, no matter the circumstance, I would always try to minimize his embarrassment. Nice. Alright, um, let's talk about, have either of you uh, been an altar? I thought this was a question for you, Adam, because I've never, of course I've never I been have. an altar. I've never been one either. No. Okay. Well, I definitely haven't. Busty has. (laughs) She loved it. Stay puffed. Certainly never invited to the (laughs) It's too hot next to the candles. Stay puffed would melt. (laughs) She'd burn. (laughs) I'm sorry. Toasted marshmallows on a stick. Oh my god. My life is reduced to this. (laughs) Jesse, do you believe in true love, Jesse? Nice. I 
you know, it's the way that question is phrased. I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking whatever you mean by true love. If you ask (laughs) that question, probably no. But I do believe in in passionate love and I do believe in long lasting, enduring love. And I believe in loving people to the point where you would actually sacrifice your life for them. Absolutely. I think it's as as true as any emotion can be. I think it's just like any other emotion, it could be fleeting, but I do think that um, making a passionate commitment to another person is, it, it has worked for a long time and I think it still works. I don't know, you know, I could, I mean, this is a, a question I could spend an hour and a half talking about, but I think briefly, yes, I think true love does exist if you, um, it depends how you define it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to bring a, a little bit of reality when it comes to the idea of true love, because there's an assumption of um, eternal compatibility associated with that, I think. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand right off the bat, without going into this too much, because like Aaron, I could talk about this for fucking hours. Um, mm-hmm. True love is like any relationship, is like any connection with someone else, a friendship. You will have to compromise true love is not absolute you will not always get along but you will love them you can hate someone and want to murder them and love everything about them like it is possible and so you know when true love if you mean like standing across the room you look and suddenly hear like i don't know you can find immediate connections in people but if you're willing to lay down your life for someone I will guarantee at some point you've wanted to stab them in the face. Like, <laughs> just my personal experience. <laughs> I, I, I second that. <laughs> Jesse, you're in a long-term relationship, right? You've been oh, married time. for... Yeah, and Adam, you are as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the only one. I'm an outlier. I, I've i been in a few three to five-ish year relationships, um, but you guys are definitely making it work. Yeah. Yeah, so they should listen can, to you on this, not me. Second, Adam, it's not like there's there's a connection that clicks into place and then it gets easy. It doesn't get easy. <laughs> if that's if true love involves an idea that things get easy, you're wrong. No, no, it doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and make sure everyone understands that love and sex are not always connected. We need to understand that sometimes they cross over, sometimes they don't. It is not the same thing. Sex is not love. All right, uh, both of your men sent this one to me. How do you do with cheaters? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking liar. Kill them all. I say swiftly and mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it depends on what you've got invested. I mean, if it's, I agree. if it's like you've been dating for a month and you find out somebody's cheating on you, maybe you just back it up and say, look, uh, let's just keep this open or you say you know what i didn't have anything invested i'm just gonna walk away but if you've got like you know i've got 24 years invested if i suddenly found out my husband was cheating what i ought to do is consider it a problem in our relationship and talk through it and work things out what i would probably do is fly off the handle and file for divorce and fall into deep depression and crawl into a bottle and not get out and find Jesus and then just, you know, totally fuck up my life. But what you ought to do... Whoa. <laughs> this is... We're teetering on the edge, Adam. <laughs> for women under the influence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it really comes down to just kind of looking at... Trying to look at the big picture as rationally as possible. 
I agree 100%. I have always said in all of my relationships that cheating is not necessarily a um, deal breaker. <laughs> cheating is not necessarily a deal breaker. If it, you know, if I'm in a long-term committed relationship and someone cheats on me, it's not necessarily the end. Well, fuck you, fuck this, fuck up everything we've invested in this relationship. You know, it's as Jesse said. You know, it's something that it's a problem in the relationship that needs to be deal with, dealt with. And um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, it's not. It's not just the end. You know, if I found out I've never been cheated on. Um, I imagine that you terrible. know of that I I, <laughs> I have never been <laughs> cheated on. <laughs> uh, maybe once, but that's not important. Um, yeah, because I was already cheating on him, so it didn't matter. Uh, but uh, you know, so I don't know how that feels. I know it is probably pretty terrible, but um, I don't think you know. As Jesse said, and I agree, it's not necessarily the end of the. It's not the end of the story. You know, I am yeah. willing to to work through something like that. I think it, it dramatically depends on the type of relationship you're in, and that's and and how rational of a human being you are <laughs> at that emotional <laughs> moment when you find out. Uh, okay, so what about uh, books that are useful in your trade outside of the um, ones where, where we've been speaking to? Uh, any? No, I, I I threw out all my book titles. Yeah, I think we already kind of covered that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I want to know this. Uh, though I didn't write this question. Yeah, you did. What's your ideal man? <laughs> Mine is a six-foot-tall, um, salt-and-pepper-haired cartoonist with a gigantic... I know someone <laughs> that fits that exactly. <laughs> I like, prefer if they're named Josh and maybe it was last <laughs> name Wada. But <laughs> That's him! Holy fuck, you know him? Yeah, he's my fiancé. Oh. My fiancé. Oh, right, not, right, right. not yours. Not mine. Busties? All right. Oh. What's your nickname for Josh? I think you told me last time. Everyone's got a nickname. I don't... <laughs> I don't... I think I called him Joshy Poo once. Yeah, that's it. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> Joshy Poo and Marshmallow. <laughs> I'm going to get a bomb in the mail. All right. Um, era, uh, Jesse. Uh, my ideal man only exists in the ritual chamber. Ooh, <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But I agree. My ideal man. Is, no. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I don't have an ideal man. Yes. All right. Well, thank you both so much. This has been so much fun. That was um, fun. Do you think you guys would want to do this again sometime in the future? Sure. Yes. Focusing more on other parts of the book and maybe expanding on what we've already discussed. Well, <clears throat> to the audience, I, I think you're going to enjoy this discussion. Uh, it, it's, it should help you, and if not, then you're probably not listening to the podcast, in which case you need someone to turn you on to this podcast so that you can listen to it, so that you can enjoy it, and you will love it. Um, but for that, uh, I, I don't have my notes here, so I don't know what my outro normally is, oh, <laughs> but fuck, consider sharing... <laughs> consider sharing nine cents with everyone um where can people find both of you online let's start with jesse and then we'll uh, ask aaron uh, jesse where can people find you online uh they can follow my blog which is drafts from a satanic windbag at wordpress.com or i'm on twitter um at damn lucky or they can email me at uh idojesse at gmail.com all right so if you have any questions for jesse idojesse at gmail.com and uh, definitely check out that blog because it's really fantastic. Aaron, where can people find you online? I'm on the Facebook as the Facebook. Chelsea Girl 19 or Aaron. No, wait, no, wait. I'm confused. Hold <laughs> on, hold on. 
Twitter is at Chelsea Gold 19 and then Facebook is Down to the Crossroads. And also, I do want to encourage everyone to, again, go check out the completewitch.blogspot.com. That's, uh, you know, Kevin Slaughter and Daniel Word's little project, and Kim Rice, um, mm -hmm. Rhesus Rice, and they're doing the whole bibliography project for The Complete Witch, and it's fucking spectacular, and they've done some great work, so go check that out, the C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T. W-I-T-C-H dot blogspot dot com. Very nice. And, and definitely follow Erin uh, online. She has some really fantastic music and articles that she posts from her Down to the cross mo Crossroads page and segment. <laughs> uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. Um, what, what did we call Facebook last time? I said Down to the Fa Crosswords. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Crosswords. That was it. Um, definitely check it out. Follow both of these amazing women and again, both of you, I am I, I absolutely love this is like a great indulgence of mine having you both on at the same time. You are both so insightful and intelligent and that is a huge turn on and to as a benefit on top of that, the cherry on the top, you're both incredibly beautiful. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving so much of that time to the audience. I know they appreciate it and I truly appreciate it. Well thank you. Until next time, Hail I'm Adam Satan. Campbell. Hail Same. Satan! <laughs> Did I blow it again? Beaten to the fucking punch. <laughs> Hail Satan! <laughs> Hail Satan! Should we do it Dang. on three? Okay, yeah. Three. One, two, three. Hail, Hail Satan! Satan. <laughs> We're good at this. We should do this more often.